Good morning and happy Sabbath, church. Uh, I'm sorry I could not be here in person, uh, but I am happy to share the word with you today. And I hope that you all are well at this time. Uh, I know that uh, quite a number of people uh, around me, I've been getting phone calls, more and more people are uh, getting sick or ill uh, because of coronavirus. So I just, uh, you know, I've already had at least uh, three conversations with people in our churches who have tested positive and shown side effects of this virus. So I want to just encourage us uh, for uh, those of you who are out, for those of you who are coming to church, uh, to please remember the guidelines that we have set. Um, I want to encourage us to wear masks as much as possible. Uh, for those of you who uh, are coming, also please uh, social distancing. Just be aware of other people as well. I tell you, the main thing that scares me uh, as a healthy young man during a time like this is getting somebody else sick. That's the biggest thing that scares me. And that's the main reason I wear a mask. And so as I'm getting more and more phone calls, I'm talking to more and more people, uh, we're seeing more and more infections, and even a, a child. This week, this this week, I had a conversation uh, with a church member in Paris and her granddaughter, only uh, about uh, six years old or so. Uh, she suffered actually more from the after effects of COVID than uh, when she actually had it. So very interesting things. I know that the um, there's a vaccine that's coming out. Uh, but we, we don't want to let our guard down. So I just want to encourage us uh, about those guidelines. And also I have another announcement, and that is that tonight at 5 o'clock in Paris, there is a Christmas program. And uh, there will be some uh, poems, songs, uh, anything that you would like to do uh, this evening to share uh, you're welcome to come to Paris and participate in the program, and then afterwards there'll be some finger foods. And so, again, we will be practicing uh, our guidelines, social distancing, and those type of things. So uh, if anybody has any questions, just give myself a call. I'll be happy to answer those. Well, today we are going to be in Matthew chapter 2. We're kind of kin continuing along here from last week as we've uh, looked at the end of chapter 1 here in Matthew. And so today we'll be in Matthew chapter 2, we're looking at verses 1 through 12 here, and the message today, uh, the title is A Journey of Faith, and that's really what this passage is all about. So I'll read the passage, and today I want to look at each one of the characters uh, that are in this story, that are in uh, this passage and I, I want to take a different look at each one of them and their reactions uh, to the birth of Jesus Christ and what it means for us today. So Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. 
And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. Let's pray. God in heaven today, uh, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come and worship you together. And we just pray, God, as we look at this uh, passage, as we look at the history of redemption uh, at this time, and we just ask and pray that you would guide us with your Holy Spirit. May Jesus be lifted up. May each heart here be ministered to. And we ask and pray, God, all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, both from Scripture and from history, we know something about these wise men. In the original Greek language, they are called magus, or more popularly known as magi. Many of us, we've heard the story of the magi, or the wise men, or sometimes they are even called kings. There's lots of legends, you see, that have grown up over the centuries uh, about these men. They were from the east. They're probably from Persia or from Babylon, somewhere in that area. Magus is the name given by the Babylonians to these men. Typically, they were teachers, they were priests, they were physicians, they were astrologers, they were seers, they were interpreters of dreams, they were soothsayers, they were sorcerers, etc., etc. So they were learned, they were skilled, both intellectually and also spiritually as well. Now, because they were familiar with the scriptures and they came to worship Christ, they were not hardcore idolaters, as we think in the common sense. And in a minute, we'll get to why we believe that they were familiar with the scriptures. They were learned men from a priestly class in the East. They were intelligent, academic men. They were skilled in astrology, in medicine, in philosophy, and in natural science. 
So you see the, the, the broad range of subjects and, and, and things that they knew and they studied. This is why they were called wise men, because they were kind of what we would call almost the jack-of-all-trades. They knew science and they knew health and, and they were religious and, and so on and so forth. Some of them were hard workers. And so these men were highly uh, uh, seen in their society. So you can imagine when these wise men, these uh, magus, they came from the east, they really got people's attention. People even in Israel knew who they, what kind of men they were. But astrology was their main interest and their sharpest skill. Hence, they found the star and followed it. But why would they be looking for a star in the first place? And the question can be asked, these wise men, they came from the east. They followed this star. Did not others see the star as well? Why were they the only ones who came? Of all the people in the East and other wise men, why were these the only ones? Now, it's important to note, without a lot of detail, that these learned men from the East would have had access to the Hebrew Scriptures. If you remember back in the Old Testament that God's people were once taken into captivity into Babylon, And they were also captives under the Persians. And when God brought them back out of captivity in the Old Testament, that actually most of the Jews decided to stay in Babylon. And there was a group that came out with Ezra and Nehemiah and others that actually came back to Israel to repopulate it and to rebuild the temple. But many of them stayed behind. And they kept there their culture and their religion and the scriptures. So for centuries, the Eastern people had access to the scriptures. And so from this, the wise men were interested in the prophecy of another Gentile magi named Balaam in the Old Testament. You you remember the story back in the book of Numbers when Balak came to Balaam, it was King Balak came to this wise man or this magi, Balaam, and asked him to curse the people of Israel. But he said, I cannot do such a thing because God doesn't want to curse them. And so instead he pronounced a blessing on Israel. And it is believed that Balaam was also a magi, possibly from the east as well. So there was a connection, there was a deep interest in the prophecies of Balaam. Now, later he went off, you know, and, and he became a heretic. He, he uh, apostatized from God. But there was a deep interest there. At least in Numbers, the prophecies that he gave when he opened his mouth, God could only bless the children of Israel. And one of the blessings came from Numbers chapter 24 and verse 17 which says a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. So there we have the the scriptures talking about the importance of a star that would rise out of Jacob from, from Israel, 
an important star that would lead these men to this ruler. That's why it talks about a scepter will rise out of Israel. A scepter is an instrument of kingship or rulership. So when they saw the star, they associated it with the prophecy of the Old Testament scriptures. And from this we learn something important from these heathen Babylonian men, these astrologers. And that is that a true study of the scriptures, even these who didn't have the same light as the Israelites, even these who are living in a dark Babylonian culture, are you listening to me? They studied with interest and intensity the light that they did have. And as they studied those scriptures, the light that they did have, it led them to Jesus Christ. So a true study of the scriptures, no matter your background, will always lead you to the Savior. Now, isn't it interesting that Herod commanded the Jewish priest to study the Bible and find out where the Messiah would be born? And when they found the answer, they just went back to their everyday, normal life and routine. They treated it with great indifference. They, they treated this, this whole event with great indifference, and they simply shrugged their shoulders, and they went back to their routines. That's because they were not studying the scriptures with deep interest and sincerity to know God. They were not looking for the Bible in order to know, they were not looking at the Bible in order to know, love, and obey God with all of their hearts. They had some other agenda that was not God's agenda. And so the question comes to us today, why do we study the Bible? Why do we tell other people about the Bible and what, do, and what we believe? And I hope that the answer today, church, is to find Jesus and to help others find Jesus as well. That's the most important thing. That's what these men, in their journey from the east coming all the way to Jerusalem. They didn't, they didn't know what they were going to find. They didn't know that he would be uh, this poor, he would come from a poor family, that he would be lying in a manger. They had no clue. But by faith, as they wrestled with that, those scrolls, and they followed by faith, it led them to Jesus. And when they were surprised that nobody else knew, when they were surprised to find him of such a humble origin, it did not stop them because they knew that the word and the providence of God had led them there. These wise men traveled hundreds of miles from the east to find Christ. And now the sad thing is the Jews only had to travel a few miles from Jerusalem to get to Bethlehem to see baby Jesus. But they did not. The people of Jerusalem, who were troubled by the news of the wise men, also had only a short distance to travel and see baby Jesus. But they did not. So what made the difference? May I suggest that the journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, 
though a short distance compared to the hundreds of miles that the wise men had to travel, may I suggest that that journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem was also a difficult journey. But it was not a difficult journey in its distance. It was not a difficult journey in that they had to pack their bags and prepare for days and weeks of travel and ride the back of an animal and and worry about robbers and thieves and, and all these other challenges and dangers along the way. No, it was a difficult journey because the heart of these people, the roughness and the crudeness and the pride made it a difficult journey. The journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem required priests and rulers to put away their pride and their prejudices. It required them to acknowledge that God would actually speak to Babylonian astrologers, Gentiles from a distant land, instead of them. It required them to acknowledge that they were not as faithful as they had claimed to be and that they lacked the simple, humble faith of these Gentile foreigners. That's what made this journey so difficult for these Jews, these religious leaders. All of us must humble ourselves All of us must acknowledge, God, I've not always been as faithful as I should be to you and and, and to, to others. God, please have mercy on me. I will make this journey. All of us must today, like these wise men, dedicate ourselves to make the most difficult journey that is often the case for Christians. And let me say, that when we make that journey of faith, it will take us much further with God than our own ways ever will. When we journey by faith, it will take us much further with God and in life than our own ways ever will. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Church, sometimes we have to do things that doesn't make sense. As we see and we hear and we touch and we feel, we say, I don't understand, God. But God says, that's okay. I want you to walk by faith and not by sight. You know, some say that Christianity and Bible religion is for the weak. But it's the opposite that is true. Look at the martyrs throughout the ages who were burned at the stake for their faith. Or you can go all the way back to the apostles, some of whom were killed by the sword or crucified upside down or thrown into hot oil. No, living by faith is not easy. It's not for the weak. To be a true Bible-believing Christian who follows Christ is not easy. That's why not everybody does it. To live by true life-changing faith is sometimes the hardest thing we will ever do. And this story challenges us today to live by faith and the providence of God. 
to live by faith in his word. To live like Abraham, who left his father's house to a land that he did not know. He didn't know if Canaan would be a fertile land or not. He just went out. And some people probably thought it was stupid. God is calling you and I today to live by a radical faith, a biblical faith. Maybe there's something that God is calling you to do today by faith. What is it? And I want to encourage us today, we can trust God. He will never, ever fail us. These wise men got to be in the very presence of God himself and have their stories told and reenacted for hundreds of years by countless little children and adults all over this world because they put their trust in God. And we know their stories. They've been told again and again. They talk the talk. And they walk the walk. And Matthew clearly states that when they took that walk, they took that journey, that the wise men found baby Jesus, they bowed down, and they worshipped him. And by writing this, Matthew is making a bold statement. Because he's a good Jew. He, he, was a, he, was, he was a Jew. I don't want to say he was a good Jew. You all know he was a, a tax collector and a thief. But like every good Jew knows, and every Christian knows, that we only worship God and God alone. So when Matthew says that these wise men came, they didn't just journey to find a, a king, a sovereign, a ruler. They didn't just come to bring their gifts They didn't just make a noise about this baby, but they bowed down and they worshipped in adoration. And Matthew is clearly saying here the same thing he said back in chapter 1 and verse 23. God has come to us in the flesh. Jesus is God with us. And I, I can guarantee you today, friends, I can guarantee you today, church, that you will never have an experience with Jesus Christ like when you journey to him by faith. Whatever obstacle or challenge it is before you, and you come to appreciate who Jesus is. I believe that it was that long, difficult journey of following that star and those scriptures and getting through the disappointment and all these other things. They appreciated Jesus more than if they had just been next door and walked outside and come to worship him. That's part of the journey. That's part of building us up. That's part of how we appreciate Christ is by letting him lead us through those long journeys, those journeys of faith. But not everyone was as excited as these wise men when they heard about Jesus. The Bible says that Herod was troubled at the news of this newborn king. And Herod was a particularly ruthless man when he believed that there was a challenge to his throne. So when these men came and they were asking, where is the king who has been born? Where is the king of the Jews? Because we saw seen his star in the east. That really got Herod's attention. 
And that really got his anger boiling. He was insecure because he was the king of the Jews, but he wasn't even a full-blooded Jew. He was part Jewish, and he was Edomian. He was from the Edomite people. So the Jewish people who were obsessed with racial purity, they were so obsessed, they would uh, remember all their lineage from way back. This was something that, that really bothered them. And because of this, they did not like Herod. There's nothing that he could have done to make them really like him. He was a non-Jew ruling over the Jews. But he was appointed, Herod was appointed as first as governor over Israel, and then later on as king, and he ruled for over 40 years. So he had the backing of the Roman Empire behind him. And he was a brilliant politician. So he knew how to gain the favor of the Romans. And there were times he tried to gain the favor of the Jews as well. So he had this this power, this backing by Rome. But it was not enough. Herod, many people say, especially towards the end of his life, he was in some ways just plain insane, crazy. He was a murderous man. He killed his own wife, Marianne, who was a a pure Jewess, and she was from the royal Hasmonean dynasty. And he married her to try to get the favor of the Jews. But he also killed her for suspecting her to plot against him. Herod killed his mother-in-law for the same reason, his brother-in-law for the same reason, and three of his own sons for the same reason. I mean, there was the, the Roman emperor Augustus at the time said it was better to be Herod's pig than his son. And there's a little play on words there because the word pig and son sound like the same in the Greek language. But they knew how murderous he was. And he did all this because he was always suspecting people to try to take his throne. So it is no wonder that Herod was troubled at the question about this newborn baby who would be king of the Jews. And we even understand why he would do such an evil thing later on in commanding the death of these babies in Bethlehem later on in this dark chapter, this dark passage in this chapter. He was a crazy, insane, murderous man. But you know, Herod's response to Jesus and his claim to the kingdom was a response very much different than the Magi who came from the East. Herod's response was one of rejection. Herod's response was one of murder and violence. And people are still rejecting Christ today. Rejecting the claims of his lordship and authority over their lives. Revelation 19 and 16 says that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And no crazy king, no amount of power on earth can change that very truth. But you know what? It comes, it hits home to every individual person as well too. There are so many people who 
who today want Jesus to be their savior and their friend, but not their master and their Lord. Saints, we cannot have it the way we want it. If Jesus is going to be our savior, he must also be the king and the ruler over our lives. There's no exception. There's no room for rejection. There's no room for uh, a picking and choosing. This means that we must have a complete surrender, a complete surrender and obedience to the king of kings. But Herod, he would have none of it. So he plotted and rejected and he murdered. And those who rejected, reject Christ complete they, those who reject Christ's complete claim of lordship, in one way or the other, they do the same thing. In one way or the other, they do the same thing. This reaction of Herod is actually a tragedy. This man who could have, was exposed to so much light and could have humbled himself before Jesus The sad deal is he had no need to kill baby Jesus. You know, not long after the birth and escape of Jesus, Herod died anyway, even when Jesus was tiny. So it's not as if he was going to rise up and and take his throne at the time. It just shows what happens when somebody time and time again rejects the light and the savior of the world. When people reject Jesus, and they reject light, then darkness comes in. And this is why we must appeal to people. We must appeal earnestly to people to accept Jesus Christ, to accept the light of his word, and to let that light flood in to their souls. Because when they reject it, darkness comes in. Not only did this happen to Herod, but also to the Jewish leaders as well. And I don't have too much time to get (coughs) into uh, a lot of detail about these leaders, but Matthew's account of their response response to Jesus' birth is clear. They simply did not care. They made no trip to Jerusalem. I mean, I'm sorry, they made no trip to Bethlehem. They did not even have the murderous intentions and hatred of Herod, at least at this time. They did not believe or worship like the wise men. They were simply indifferent. They just went back to their normal rituals and routine as if nothing happened. Their pride and self-sufficiency would not allow them to participate in this wonderful miracle that God was doing through Jesus Christ. You see, it required both faith and humility by the religious Jews to follow that star to Bethlehem. They would have had to humbly admit that God spoke to these Gentiles and not themselves. That God had passed them by because of their attitudes. And so, again here, we see an example of a bad example. We have a warning because some people are so hot for Jesus. They're so on fire for Jesus, just like the wise men. Look at the sacrifice that they made. Look at the journey that they made. Look at what they did in coming and bringing the attention of Jesus to others. 
What, what a wonderful example. And, and then you have, on the exact opposite end of the spectrum, you have Herod, a crazy, insane king who didn't just uh, not care about Jesus, but he wanted to kill Jesus. That's how polar opposite he was to the wise men. And then you have the religious leaders who were right in the middle between being on fire and being cold. They were right in the middle. And that's just so dangerous as well, too. We see later on what their intentions were as, as that kind of indifference to Christ. And later on, it turned into hatred for Christ. So we see these examples from these people. We see their responses to the birth and the claims of Jesus Christ. And from all these examples, we learn that both seasoned, well-informed Christians, seasoned Seventh-day Adventists who, who know, have all the truth in the world, and those who are not so Christian, like these wise men, must make different decisions that require all the faith that they can muster up. Everybody in this situation had to take huge leaps of faith to make their way to Jesus. They had to deny themselves to make long journeys of faith to get to Jesus. Church, we need to stop waiting for severe persecution to show how faithful we can be to God. We may attend church on the right day, pay tithe, avoid certain foods, do this or that for others. But if we are never making those hard decisions to live by faith, a faith that challenges us and shapes us into different people, if we are rarely making those tough decisions, then we should be worried. If life is just kind of going on the same week after week, month after month, year after year, where we don't have those landmarks, those turning points that we can look back and say, that was a tough decision. That, that was a, but I did that for Jesus. And I'm not saying that we all have to uh, give everything up and go be missionaries or, or sell all that we have. I don't know. Maybe God is calling you to do that. But there should be these landmarks along the way in your life where you see that God is calling you to do something different, to do something uh, uh, even difficult by faith. It is these moments that shape and mold us in these moments that lead us to the worship of Jesus Christ. If you're rarely ever doing this, we should be worried. Because maybe we're not living by faith at all. You know, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is the call that God is making to us. And this passage, it's, it's about each one of these people and their responses and their faith in God and, and the claims of Jesus Christ. Herod, the wise men, the priest, the people from Jerusalem, each responded differently. And today is no different. People must respond to the person and the claims 
of Jesus Christ. And people are doing it every single day, whether they realize it or not. It's no different today. People must respond to the news of Christ and to his claims. Is he really a king? Is he really a savior? Is he really the son of God? Is he your king, your savior, and your God? If so, we should be making those journeys of faith, just like the wise men. Today, I'd like to close with a story about an amazing Christian missionary uh, from generations ago. Maybe you've heard of him, Adoniram Judson. He was born here in the States. He was born in Massachusetts in 1788. And Adoniram, he was so smart that at the age of 12, he was teaching the book of Revelation in the original Greek language in his local Sunday school. He was so smart that people admired his intelligence and his knowledge of the Bible and God. And and then something happened as he got older. He uh, went to college and he got really arrogant and boastful because he was so intelligent. And I don't have time to go into the story of, of, of his journey away from God. But, you know, he he... He started to journey away from God, and something happened in his life to bring him back. He, he was such an a, a ardent uh, uh, apostate that he actually was knocking the faith out of people as he was going along in life. From uh, college buddies in his Christian school to other Christians to teachers and professors, so much that people wanted to avoid him because they were afraid that by his intellectual reasoning, he would knock the faith out of them. And this even happened to uh, his roommate in college, who was, uh, was a Christian young man. And <clears throat> the story goes that Adoniram Judson he uh, later left college, and uh, he was going into another field. Uh, I think it was into music. And uh, one day he went to a, he was staying the night at a hotel after doing a show, and uh, he got a he was getting a hotel room at night, and the the attendant at the front of the uh, hotel room was checking him in, and he said, "I'm sorry, sir, I only have one room." Uh, but it's next to another man who is dying. And I don't think you want his room because he is just screaming in agony as he's dying. And so Adoniram said, listen, I don't care. I'll just block it out. If I have to put a pillow over my head, I'll do that. So the uh, attendant said, okay, I'll give you the room. He gave him the room, and he was trying to sleep at night, but he could hear the blood-curdling screams of this man who was dying next to him. And it really bothered his soul. And so, so the next morning, Adoniram, he gets up from the little sleep that he got, and he goes to the attendant at the front of the hotel, and he says, so whatever happened to the man? His screams, I noticed that they stopped somewhere in the middle of the night. Did he get better? And the attendant says, no, no. Um, he, he did not. He actually died last night. And so the attendant said, well, you know, the, the thing is, Mr. Judson, I, I don't really uh, know who 
what, who to call because uh, I can't find any uh, family or friends who would uh, take this man uh, to, his, to his home. And so Adoniram, well, he asked him what his name was. And so the attendant told him what his name was, and he said his name, and then Adoniram Judson recognized his name. He said, who was this man? He told him his name again, and it was his roommate from college who used to be a, col- uh, used to be a Christian, but Judson knocked the faith out of him. And last night he could hear his screams. At the night before, he could hear this man, his hopelessness and despair as he was dying, and he had no hope in the afterlife. Adoniram Judson was stunned. He couldn't believe it was his old college roommate that had died next to him, that had died so hopelessly. And so Adoniram Judson, he got on his horse, and he was, he was running away on his horse. He wanted to run away from the, from the scene. And as he was on his horse, he, he tells in his biography that there was one thing that was on his mind, two things really. And as he was riding away as hard as he could, it was the two things were death and hell. Death and hell. Death and hell. And he was, he was running away. He realized he had led this young man away from the hope of eternal life. And right there, God struck him. And he got off of his horse and he repented and he wept bitterly. So bitterly he, he wept. And right there, he came back to God. Right there on the side of the road. And as a result of this, Adoniram Judson became one of the greatest missionaries of, of all time in, in, in recent centuries. He determined that he was going to tell as many people who did not know about Jesus Christ as he could. And his passion for, for God and telling people about God was, was so on fire that he decided that he was going to go be a missionary in Burma. He was going to tell these people who were unreached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in 1813, he arrived in Burma as a missionary. And he began learning the language. It took him a year to learn the language and and then once he learned the language, he began translating the Bible into the Burmese language. He would study their language 12 hours a day for years so he could speak and read and write the Burmese language. And for years after arriving, he had little or no people who came to the Lord. But after a period of time, people began to become baptized. And he began holding meetings, and more and more people came to Christ. And Adoniram Judson, on his missionary works, he lost, his wife died, he had children who died. And eventually, during a time of war in Burma, between the English and the local native people, he was banished to live on a ship because they were suspicious of him. He was always going out, even at the risk of his own life, to continue his missionary work. And they put him on a ship, and that's where he eventually died. Everything that he suffered, but he never gave up his faith to the very end. Now that is an amazing journey of faith. 
And I share that story with you today, church. And I tell you, God is calling each and every one of us in some way or another. I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know how close or far away from God that you are today. You know, it's interesting, these wise men, as much as they believed, they were far away from Jesus. But it was their faith that brought them to him. And eventually, it was a rekindling of faith that brought Adoniram Judson back to God. And it is faith that brings us close to the Savior. Church, what is it that God is calling us? What is he calling you to do by faith today? I hope and pray that this journey that you are on is similar and mimics the journey of the wise men. Because at the end of their journey, there was no disappointment. They were in the very presence of God himself. And I will tell you that when Jesus comes again, once again, they will be in the presence of God himself as Jesus comes in the clouds of glory. May God bless you and happy Sabbath.